Come live on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. A new day brings new topics. Our sports talk brings extensive debate and analysis by the host, expert contributors, and callers. We discuss it all. Join us weekdays at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Hey, welcome to Never Had It So Good Sports Talk Radio. This is an awesome Sunday for me and our guests and our coaches here. We know track and field. I am Princess Cooper with my co-host, and that is Fred Rucker and also Coach Gerald Richardson. How are you all doing, sir? Doing great this evening. How are you this evening, Princess? Doing really good. Coach Rucker? I'm doing fine and happy to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I put this out here on, on social media a couple of weeks ago, maybe longer than that. This is one of my favorite people of all time, Black History Celebration, and I'm excited about tonight. And to have on Coach Norm Tate with us. Coach, Coach Norm Tate, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, it's not always, you know, you get a chance to, uh, you know, uh, highlight your your career and accomplishments, you know, on a national broadcast. Thank you. I really feel honored. We we are so honored to have you. Coach Ruck and Coach Richardson, go ahead and get started. And and I'm going to step in and ask some questions, too, because I'm honored just to be a part of this with all three of you all, just some legends on here, and I'm excited about Black History Month with you all. Go ahead and get started. Thank you, Princess. And, again, we want to welcome our esteemed guest, Norm Tate, uh, I'm extremely honored to have you, Coach Tate, and, and, and as we celebrate Black History Month, uh, we're going to end it with, with you on the show. And um, I know, you know, there's, there's so much we need to talk about, and so I want to go ahead and get started right away. Uh, but before I do that, uh, can you give us like two minutes of, of introducing yourself to those who may not know who you are and those who are just listening for the first time? Okay. Uh, my name is you know, Norman Tate, uh, most people say Norm. Uh, I'm currently assistant coach at uh, Rowan University in South Jersey. I've been there. This will be my, uh, let me see, I started in 2008, so this is my, uh, going into my 14th year, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 15th year. And uh, I was, uh, you know, attended North Carolina Central University in Durham. Uh, I was on the 68 Olympic team uh, in Mexico City. Uh, my primary events were long jump and triple jump, uh, but I anchored uh, some Championship of America relay teams at Penn. Uh, I was outstanding athlete at Penn Relays in 1964 and outstanding athlete at the NAIA Championships in 1965. Uh, a member of seven national teams as a competitor. Uh, and I've been involved with five national teams as a coach uh, for the United States. That's quite a uh, that's quite an intro. We appreciate that, Coach Rucker. I will go ahead and start you off with the questioning. All right, Coach Tate. I, I got to ask you this one date, and I believe you told me this. And correct me if I'm wrong. You've been participating either as a coach or an athlete in track and field since. 1956. Am I correct when you told me that? that, that that's correct. The first time I uh, got involved with track was as a freshman in high school, 1956. And I went out for cross country uh, because I wasn't big enough to you know, play football. My mom wouldn't sign the 
you know, the uh, parent uh, uh, form for me to play football. She said I was too little. So I went out for cross country. And that that lasted all of a you know, couple of months. Uh, I realized then that I would never be a distance runner. Uh, so <laughs> I, I ended up, you know, quitting uh, and uh, went back out for track, as a, you know, uh, in the spring. And I actually uh, earned a varsity letter the first track meet I was in. Uh, I, I uh, won 100, 200, and long jump in the first meet I was in, so I earned a varsity letter the first first track meet I, I ever uh, participated in. Wow. That's phenomenal. And, and, and Coach, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but looking at your uh, your bio, it's something I never even realized. You said it earlier, you participated in several relay teams. Uh, from your bio, I understand you had a 100 time of 10.2 is the best. And I think yes. it was 21, 2 in the 200. No, well, actually, in 200, it was 20.40. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, in uh, 1964 in Orangeburg, South Carolina, was uh, ran 20.4, send the track. Uh, wow. That was my best 200 time and and ran several 46 legs on, you know, Dr. Walker's 4x4 uh, four four when I was in college. In fact, the last time I ran a 400 was in college. So once I once uh, I was relieved of the scholarship duty, uh, there was no more 400s in my in my future. <laughs> Coach, I have I have a question for you, and mm-hmm. um, I, I know when I was a kid, I had growing up, I had my my heroes, you know, whether it be in football, or track, or just uh, just all American heroes. And my my hero was Muhammad Ali. Uh, who was your hero as a kid growing up? Uh, growing up, my my hero was Jesse Owens. Um, uh, he was my mom's hero. Uh, my mom grew up, you know, and uh, she was born in 1927, so she grew she grew up in the Jesse Owens era. And in her eyes, Jesse Owens was the greatest track person that ever lived. Uh, even uh, when I got older. I actually ran faster than Jesse Owens did in a hundred. Uh, I ran just as fast as Jesse in a 200, uh, you know, 220 yards. And I jumped further than Jesse Owens jumped uh, in uh, his career. He was 26, eight. Uh, I jumped 27, one. And uh, I remember telling my mom, you know, that, and she said, well, Jesse Owens is still better than you. <laughs> and, and, uh, so uh, I was always second in her eyes to, to Jesse Owens, regardless of, the, you know, my accomplishing feats that were greater than his. Uh, right. uh, her Jesse was the best. But I grew up, you know, uh, uh, admiring Jesse Owens. Uh, had the pleasure of meeting him, you know, many different times. In fact, in Mexico City, I, my mom came down and uh, – the biggest thrill of her life was that Jesse and his wife took us out to lunch. Uh, oh, wow. And, uh, I mean, my mom never forgot that. Uh, she was my biggest supporter in track. Don't care where the track meet was, if I was in it, she found a way to get there. Uh, wow. And she came to Mexico City with a bag, uh, you know, suitcase, and no place to stay. I had to uh, talk to the Puma people to get a, a hotel room because you know, it was a last-minute thing, and, you know, yeah. for the Olympic Games, hotel rooms and stuff is booked up years in advance. Uh, but yeah. she came She came to Mexico City, and uh, 
I'll never forget uh, one of the kids on the team. I was I was in, in the Olympic Village, and one of the kids said, there's a lady in the lobby of our building uh, in the village. Uh, she's been asking for you, uh, and if anybody saw you to tell her, tell, tell, tell me. And so yeah, I, did, I took my time going over there because, you know, we were being bugged by, by newspaper people every day uh, writing articles and stuff. So I just thought it was some newspaper person. I went over there and there's my mom sitting with a suitcase and uh, surprised, it surprised me, but the city of East Orange actually uh, uh, paid, paid her way to Mexico city. And wow. Back. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Now, now coach, now um, you mentioned Mexico city and you mentioned Jesse Owens and uh, I, I just can't help but see the parallel you guys both uh, had as competitors in the Olympics. You know, he's at, his was in Berlin and yours in Mexico City when the, at the mm-hmm. height of the civil rights uh, uh, right. time. And so what was your um, experience like in Mexico City uh, with the, all the politics and, and, and all that thing going on? Right. Well, it, it started in early six, you know, when we were actually training uh, to, to make the team, to, you know, to go to the Olympic trials and make the team. And the talk of the boycott had started, you know, with Harry Edwards uh, prior to that, you know, uh, and they had had several meetings. And I've been, I've been asked this question many times. Would I have uh, boycotted the Olympics? The answer was no. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 1964, I went to the Olympic trials, and I was one of the favorites to make the team. I finished eighth in the trials in Los Angeles in 1964. Uh that's when I realized that I really wanted to go to the Olympics. Uh, the Olympic trials in 64 was like the biggest track meet I'd ever been in at that time. The largest was, was pin relays, uh, you know, with full stadium and stuff. But the Olympic trials was, was totally different. Uh, I was still in college, and I was used to being in a team environment. Uh, when you go to the Olympic trials, there's no team uh there's no friendship. Uh, 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 everybody is into their own zone. And I just wasn't used to that type of environment at the time. You know, I was in college. Uh, so I felt alone, isolated, uh, and it, is, it actually affected my uh, competing uh, in the trials that year. And I, I made the finals, but I finished eighth uh, out of the eight jumpers that they took to the finals. Um I, I was depressed, didn't want to go back to school. Uh, uh, my coach called me, Dr. Walker called me, and I said, you know, I was telling him how I felt, and I felt like I didn't want to compete anymore, uh, you, know, run, you know, run anymore. Uh, I was just that depressed. And coach said, Norm, he said, you didn't finish last. You finished as the eighth best in the United States. He always had a way of turning things around to make it a positive. I was looking at it, you know, in my mind that, you know, I was last. And I'd never, ever finished last in any competition I'd been in up to that point. Uh, uh, but he said, you weren't last. He said, you were the eighth best in the United States. He said, how many people can say that? Uh, so, so it just gave me a different, you know, uh, uh, a mindset. I went back to school, but it was then that I made – that 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 my goal was that I was going to be an Olympian, uh, 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 regardless of 
of how long it was going to take, but I was going to, I was going to be on an Olympic team. And, and, you know, I continued my career after college in 1968, you know, uh, by the you know, will of God, you know, I ended up, you know, uh, fulfilling that dream. Quite a story. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, and, and as far as the politics, you know, like I said, uh, I, 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 it was never in my mind to boycott just because of the sacrifices I had made, the sacrifices that my mom made uh, uh, when I got out of school. Uh, uh, she, you know, I was able to continue to train because then you had to work. Uh, my mom said, well, listen, you know, get a part-time job, you know, take the time you need to train, the whole bit. So, so basically, I was still my mama's boy, you know, those first few years I got out of college uh, 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 because I was allowed to, to not have to contribute to the family. It was a single family, uh, you know, single family parent. Uh, and my mom, it was three of us, uh, me and my two sisters. Uh, 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 and, and, but, you know, she just put me in that position that I was able to, to work hard time and still be able to continue to compete. Uh, just so I could realize that that goal I had. So when the boycott issue, you know, first started talking, two two things that disturbed me about it was one, it was a West Coast idea. They never consulted athletes from the East Coast like Larry James, Charlie Mays, myself about boycotting. All of the meetings were between Harry Edwards and athletes from San Jose. So, you know, at the time then, you know, I was, like I said, I was, you know, I made the Olympic team uh, uh, in 68. I was 26 years old. I was one of the old athletes. So I was making decisions that were going to benefit me uh, uh, going forward. So there was not going to be anyone telling me that I was going to boycott uh, uh, the Olympic Games. Hmm. Taking part in the, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry, Coach Tate. Yes. I wanted to ask, what was your reaction then to Tommy Smith and, and I think John Carlos at that time? Because I'm sure that you've been asked about that a right. million times. Oh yes. Well, Carlos and Tommy, we, we were all friends. I mean, okay. we met, uh, uh, you know, in our preparations. Uh, at, at, you know, we were at Lake Tahoe for for uh, two and a half months before we left to go to Mexico okay. City. Uh, the trials were in Lake Tahoe at our high altitude. Uh, in fact, we were at a high altitude than, than we were in Mexico. We were about 100, 200 feet above uh, 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 the altitude in, in Mexico City. So, so we were well prepared, you know, for the altitude. Uh, and and I tell people, I would have I would have demonstrated if I had had the opportunity to be on the stand. There would have been some sort of demonstration. But the initial talk of not going. Uh, was mm-hmm. never in my mind just because of the sacrifices that I put my family through, my, my college coach, uh, uh, the school itself. I was representing all of those uh, uh, facets uh, of track, you know, and and uh, uh, so I, the idea of boycotting would have would have would have never taken place with me. Uh, I would have competed. I would have demonstrated. Uh, I was for what Tommy and John did. Uh, they caught they caught everybody off guard because we had been meeting, you know, periodically to come up with a a, 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 a athlete a, a boycott that the black athletes would participate in as a unit and could never come to an agreement for various reasons. 
as to uh, 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 the type of demonstration that we would do as a team. Uh, they had all kinds of ideas. In fact, there, there was an instance where uh, we had decided we were going to dye our shoes black. Uh, uh, well, after that meeting, there was another meeting that took place with the representative from Adidas. Uh, he thought it was a great idea uh, that we dye our shoes. Uh, so he was going to take our shoes. He was going to take everybody's shoes. Back then it was Adidas and Puma were the two two brands. Nike wasn't in existence yet. And mm-hmm. uh, he was going to dye our shoes, but they were going to leave the markings visible so that you would still know that the athlete was wearing a Puma or an Adidas shoe. The three stripes would still be visible, uh, uh, even though the shoe was dyed black. The Puma sash would be visible. And 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 that was came about because there were some athletes getting money from Adidas. They were getting more money than others. There was athletes getting money from Puma, some more than others, depending on the eventual end. So it, it came down to where uh, the athletes didn't come to an agreement just over the fact that they felt that they were going to lose out on some of the money that they had uh, 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 that they were going to get, you know, from from competing. So because we couldn't come to any agreement. What what Tommy and Carlos did was their own idea, and it was spur of the moment. Uh, wow. uh, we didn't know, sitting in the stands, that that was going to take place. We were just in much shock as the people in the stadium that day uh, when they uh, put their fists up. Uh, uh, but it, but it, it, it was very impactful. Uh, 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 the only thing that, that I remember from that is that I'd never been in a situation where I heard close to 60,000 people booing. Uh, wow. It, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, just people were in up arms. Uh, 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 and, and, and they they got all kinds of negative feedback. They got kicked out of the village. Uh, 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 the one thing, the one story that was told for years was that they got the medals taken away, but that didn't happen. They, they, you know, they, they kept their medals, but they were – kicked out of the village, and uh, 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 Brent Musburger, the famous sportscaster, was writing for a small newspaper in Ohio, the Ohio Centennial, and he, he put in his, the paper, in his, in his writings in the paper after that occurred, he said that uh, Tommy and uh, John looked like black auxiliaries uh, 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 trying to uh, – attempting to overthrow the government. Brent Musburger, who people praise years later, mm. wrote that uh, in his uh, newspaper article. And uh, it had a had a, a negative, lasting Im- impact on Tommy and Carlos because for years they couldn't, you know, get gain, you know, uh, couldn't get gainful employment. Carlos's first wife, who he's married to at that time, committed suicide. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, yeah. Kim, uh, his first wife, very nice uh, 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 young lady, jumped out of her went jumped out of their apartment window in the Bronx uh, and killed herself uh, because of the pressures that, that that the family was going through. Carlos, you know, couldn't work. Uh, you know, it was just uh, a shame that, that. And now they're now they're celebrated as heroes. You know, icons yeah. of the of the of the civil rights movement. But back then, it was it was totally different. Uh, 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 
the next year at Madison Square Garden in honor of John and Carlos at Indoor Nationals. I, I won indoor uh, long jump and triple jump titles at, in, at Indoor Nationals in, in 69, in 70, and 71. But in 69, uh, I was representing New York Pioneer Club. Uh, I, I and some of the other guys on the team, we went to this black-owned sporting goods store in Harlem on 125th Street, and they, we had uniforms made, red, black, and green, with a circle on the back with a, with a fist. And I actually was booed in Madison Square Garden uh, for wearing that uniform. In fact, I was told by the coach of the New York Pioneer Club, Mr. Yancey, not to ever wear it again. Uh, he was an old-school guy. But he was the founder of the Pioneers. Uh, old-school Jamaican uh, individual that worked for the Internal Revenue Service all the years that uh, he worked. Uh, but he told me never to wear that uniform again. But I was I was defiant, uh, 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 and uh, you know I did it, you know, in honor of John, because John had come to run it the 60 at that meet, and actually like 19,000 people in the garden booed him and stuff. And uh, the other four guys that, that we were going to wear as a relay team, they chicken out. So I wore mine in the individual events that I was in the long jump and triple jump in. And so I was booed too, uh, and I was one of the, the, the crowd favorites in Madison Square Garden for years and stuff, you know. But it was just the attitude of the country at that time. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to Jesse, uh, I was in a meeting that evening after that event took place in Mexico City. Uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee brought Jesse. Uh, Owens in to talk to the black athletes. Uh, they flew him in uh, down to Mexico to have him talk to the black athletes. And it's the one thing that I always remember that I didn't like about what took place was that well Jesse got up and he started talking about when you know representing the United States. Uh, you know we're representing the United States. We wear the red, white, and blue. And he started talking about you know in 1936 when he performed you know. Uh, 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 in front of Hitler, uh, in all of the, all of the, yeah, in Berlin, all the black mm-hmm. athletes in the room got up and started booing. They booed Jesse out of the room, and oh. and and I just thought it was shameful because uh, here was here here they were booing, probably until Carl Lewis came along, probably the greatest mm-hmm. uh, American track athlete that we'd ever had. Uh, uh, I got a chance to talk to Jesse years later. He he apologized to me because he felt that the United States Olympic Committee had used him, you know, to to uh, uh, get through to us. Uh, I apologized to him for the fact that, that the black other black athletes in the room booed him. Uh, I just thought it was shameful on their part to boo uh, uh, Jesse Owens, as you know, to me who was even before Carl uh, was the greatest. Uh, a track athlete that I'd ever read about and seen, you know, I never saw him run. I saw pictures of him, and uh, and 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 the things that, that that the United States Olympic Committee did to him after he won those four gold medals was shameful. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he was suspended by the by the AAU at that time uh, after he came back from Berlin because he wouldn't complete a tour after Olympic Games. He wanted to come home. He, he had just, you know, been recently married. Uh, he, so he came home. They suspended him from six months. 
uh, he left Ohio State, uh, couldn't get a job. He was racing horses to take care of his family. Uh, uh, and, and that's the way the country treated him. So for them to boo him out of the room, being black, it really, you know, uh, you know, it was a, you know, got to me. And I apologize to him for, for it happening, uh, 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 you know, because that's how bad I felt about that whole situation. But it was, you know, turbulent times, a lot of turmoil. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it, you know, during that time, I don't even see how some of us even competed and competed on a high level, you know, because of the things that, uh, that took place those couple of years, 68, 69 and stuff, yeah. Wow. I mean, I know it was eye-opening, but, I, 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 again, I appreciate your, your, your candor and, and sharing mm-hmm. your, your experience. Coach Parker? Yeah, um, I have two questions. But the first question, you, know, you mentioned Jesse Owens as being um, one of your, you know, the greatest athletes for, for your mom and even yourself. When you were competing in, in the 60s at North Carolina Central, mm-hmm. uh, who were some of the contemporaries of your time that you competed against that were pretty good okay. and well-known athletes? Okay, probably the best was Bob Hayes. Uh, uh, in fact, to tell you a little, little quick story, I've been in many relay races. I, I ran anchor. I ran the anchor leg for for the North Carolina college teams at, at Penn and in in, uh, in California, at Madison Square Garden. I was the anchor leg, and um, only one person ever has caught me from behind. And that was Bob Hayes, and he did it twice in the same day. <laughs> I I even threw – I had a brand-new pair of white Pumas with a red sash that they had sent me from Germany. I took the shoes off after the 4 by 2 and threw them in the trash can. <laughs> I didn't even want the shoes anymore. I mean, uh, uh, he literally could embarrass the best people running. Uh, 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 that's how good Bob Hayes was. They, they talk about Usain Bolt. And 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 and, and uh, guys that you know that you know even during my time you know uh, the Mel Penders and the Charlie Green, Bob Hayes was the best I ever seen in the hundred, and mm. probably not the best in the two hundred, but he definitely was the best person, best friend I ever seen alive in in the hundred meters. Uh, he ran the win, and he still broke records. I mean, he didn't run to set records. He he ran to win. And uh, in winning, he, he set records. Uh, uh, indoors in the 60 at Madison Square Garden, he, he ran six flat against some of the best indoor run, Charlie Green, Mel Pender. Uh, he beat everybody. Outdoors, uh, uh, he, he, he recorded the first official Sub nine clocking in a four by one in Mexico City. Uh, he ran eight eight. They clocked him in eight eight for for that that hundred meter leg, and he came from behind. The, the five people that was ahead of him when he got the baton in sixty four were all finalists in the hundred. <laughs> that's how that's how good Bob Hayes was. Uh, but I but I ran against Tommy Smith, Carlos. I beaten I beaten Carlos in a hundred. Uh, mm-hmm. I beat Mel Pender in a hundred uh, when I was in college. Uh, he was stationed at Fort Bragg. Uh, so uh, uh, at one point, coach used to tell me 
I could have made the team in the 100, 200, or long jump or, or, or triple jump. Uh, that's how good my times were. But 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 Charlie Green, all of those were, you know, competing during my time. And, and Norm, if you could do me a favor, could you share with, with the listeners the story that you shared with, I think, Gerald and I about Bob Hayes at the meets and how he would prepare and what he would say about his competitors? Oh, oh, he 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 was cocky. He was cocky, uh, and he would tell you that he was going. You know, if you if you was in front, he was going to catch you, and if you was behind, you wouldn't see nothing but his behind. And and uh, uh, he walked around. You know, they Florida and them nickname was the Rattlers, and uh, they would come to meet wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots and stuff, and and like meets like like uh, the uh, South Carolina Invitation in Orangeburg, we would all stay in the same gymnasium. They would have the, they would have the cots. You know, back then they didn't, you know, uh, in the South, you couldn't, you know, who was the hotel you stayed in and stuff. You stayed on the school campuses, and they put you, like, in the gymnasium. And they was, you know, you, your team would have however many cots you needed would be in one little section Florida and it would be in another section, whatever schools. And, and, and Coach Bates, if you ever talk to him, he'll tell you, Coach Bates was at some of those meets, and he'll tell you the same thing. Uh, the guys from Florida and them would walk in, man, it'd be, you know, night lights out. they come in making noise, tell tell them about how they were going to beat up on everybody the next day and stuff. And uh, they, But he was a real nice guy. Mm-hmm. Bob Hayes used to call me until the year he died, used to call me every New Year's Eve. After, and uh, when he was playing with Cowboys and they'd come to Giant Stadium to play, Bob would call me and leave me tickets and stuff, and we'd hang out after. He was just a really nice country boy, you know, country boy, you know, mm-hmm. from, 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 from Jacksonville, Florida. And, uh, uh, and uh, he, he was just a super, super guy to know and to be around. Um, uh, uh, you know, later on, you know, after he left the Cowboys, you know, he got, you know, messed up drinking. You know, he'd drink, start drinking a lot and was, you know, messing with uh, uh, drugs. And he, he probably would still be alive today if he hadn't, you know, uh, you know, went that route. But but he would call me every New Year's Eve, 12 o'clock at night. I'd get a telephone call. And this was uh, all through the 80s and stuff, you know, until he died. Uh, we would talk on New Year's Eve every year. Just for the listeners, everyone, that uh, Coach Tate was born on New Year's Day, so that would be the reason for the phone call. I I also read something, Coach, where uh, Bob was the only athlete uh, to win a gold Olympic gold medal and a Super Bowl ring. That's true to this day. The only Olympic gold medal winner to to play in the Super Bowl, and and they won the championship when he was at Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. But he was phenomenal as a, as an athlete. Uh, when you looked at him, you know, when you saw him run, he didn't look like a runner. He he was he was he was pigeon toed. In fact, Bob's nickname in college was was Crow. That's what his that's what his teammates nicknamed him Crow. And uh, uh, he was very, you know dark skinned guy, you know, country in his ways, uh, just uh, you know, nice. Uh, uh, Outside of track, very humble. But on the track, he would talk trash. But he backed it up. (laughs) He definitely backed it up. I think Coach Bates heard a story uh, about uh, 
Mr. Hayes, Coach Hayes, about him saying he was nervous before every race. And someone asked him why he was so nervous. He said, I'm worried about who's going to take second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he would talk. He, Bob Hayes, could, he could talk the talk. But, but he walked the walk. And yeah. Stuff, you know, yeah. Okay. That's what I was looking for because I remember that story too. Yeah. yeah. Which one of you guys would have been the second? That second. That's right. <laughs> hey, hey, Coach Hayes, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we were talking about the politics of uh, Mexico City in 68. And when you were in school and going through college, you, you know, in the 60s, I mean, what was it like? I mean, segregation, the civil rights you know, movement in the late 50s or in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Can you share some things? And Yes. Uh, I'll tell you the first, uh, the first memory I had, because I was born, I was born in West Virginia, and growing up it was segregated. But mm-hmm. I grew up in a coal mining camp, and everybody, all the men had the same job. They were all coal miners. And I never forget my grandfather used to tell me, he said, and he always, my grandfather always called me boy. You know? I don't care how old I got, I was a boy to him. Um, he said, boy, he said, when we go into the mine, we're two colors, white and black. When we come out, we're all black. <laughs> and, yeah. and and that's the way they, the life they lived in the coal mine. The coal miners looked out for each other, regardless of segregation. When they went into those mines and stuff, they knew that they, their life was in each other's hands. Um, uh, so, so outside of the coal mines, they were close in the hollows, like, you know, uh, this guy, Big Jim, he lived on the hill across from us. He was second-generation uh, Italian. His family, his, his parents had brought over grapes from Italy. So Big Jim was known to make wine, good wines. My grandfather and him would go sit on his porch and stuff. My, my grandfather, he he, he, he made homebrew in, 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 in moonshine, you know. Um, and they all drank. They drank together, you know, sat on each other's porches. They killed their hogs and shared and stuff. The only difference was was they went to, the, the kids I grew up with playing with in West Virginia, they went to the white schools when they got older. And I went to I only went to school there one year. Uh I wanted to stay down there. My mom used to you know, I came to Jersey when I was like two, three years old and some but we would go down there. As soon as school got out I was on the train going to West Virginia going back to West Virginia to stay with my grandparents. Because I was like one of their I was my I like my grandparents son. I was born in their house, uh, uh, you know, midwife. I was born in my grandfather's house. So always, I was always treated by my grandparents as one of his, one of, one of, one of, one of their children. Uh, and, uh, but so I, I, one year I came, I didn't want to come back. My mom came down to get us Labor Day weekend. And uh, I, said, I said, could I stay? And my mom didn't want me to. And my grandfather said, you let that boy stay down here if he wants to. So uh, she let me stay down there that one year. Uh, uh, and and I really had you know big fun just being being there that whole year. Uh, um, you know the friends I, I I'd always had during the summers, you know, be, ended up be, some of them becoming lifelong friends uh, uh, that I uh, uh, went to school with that one year I stayed down there. But that was the only difference in in being in West Virginia during that period was that you know they they went to a different school. But when I got older. It was different. When I went to North Carolina College, uh, I went to East Orange High School. It was probably 25 to 30% black, but it was integrated. The theaters up here was integrated. So everything you did 
together. And I went to, I went to North Carolina, and uh, the first thing I noticed was on the trip down there. Um, I got to uh, Baltimore on the bus. I went in the bus station, and this had never happened before. You know, and I'm, you know, 18 years old. I turned 18 that January year. Uh, uh, went in the in the in the in the little restaurant in the bus station, and I wasn't allowed to sit in there and eat. I had to take myself out and to go and uh, go outside and get back on the bus and eat. And so that was the first initial experience I had was going to North Carolina. Uh, 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 and then when I thought about it after that, I had had those same experiences going to West Virginia every year on the train. My mom would they had some kind of program uh, 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 the Pennsylvania Railroad had, you know, you travel as children, but there was a conductor. You had wore this thing around your neck with your name and stuff on it. So the conductors took you on and off the train if, wherever you had to, and uh, and I took the train all the way to West Virginia. My grandparents would meet us at the train station in West Virginia. Uh, but I, I realized when I got older that when we got to D.C., we had to switch cars. And we was always it was always the rear car of the train, but I didn't think about that that much then because I was young. But when I got older and realized that what segregation was really about uh, 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 was you know when, after I went to North Carolina as a young adult, and even when I got to Carolina, you know uh, I was at a you know HBCU all all black college. We didn't have a good track to run on and stuff. So Coach had a had developed a friendship prior to my coming to Central over the years with with the uh, coaches at at, uh, at at Duke. So we primarily trained over at Duke Stadium uh, the majority of the time. Uh, they had the best of everything, best cinder track and one of the best in the East Coast cinder tracks. You know, big stadium, the whole bit. We had none of that. The first time I walked into Wade Wallace Stadium, that's the name of Duke Stadium, you go through this tunnel from the upper part, you go down through this long tunnel. When you come out, you're on the track. And I came out of the tunnel, and then I looked up at the stadium, big U-shaped concrete stadium, seated about 40,000 people, and it's empty. And the first thing I see at the end of the U on the one side of the stadium, it said, written, you know, painted into the concrete, it said colored section. I never forget wow. that. I asked, I said, Coach, I said, uh, what is that all about? I mean, we over here running around. He said, I'm looking at this painted, uh, uh, these painted words on this concrete stadium wall say colored section, man. You know, I start thinking about all kinds of, you know, thoughts running through my head. You know, why are we here, you know? And Coach said, Norm, he said, well, if you come over here to watch Duke play a football game on Saturday, that's where you have to sit, okay? And that was the beginning of the various experiences that I had by being in the segregated South. I I, I, uh, I seen Ku Klux Klan parade down Main Street in Durham. Uh, uh, I seen, seen guys working on the chain gang when we was traveling to South Carolina, uh, you know, big, big, big uh, – you know, dudes standing on the side with a 12-gauge shotgun. These guys chained together in striped suits, just like you see in the movies, in striped mm-hmm. suits, 
busting rocks on the side of the road and stuff, you know. Uh, we couldn't stop every place uh, on the way to, to, to some of these various places. Uh, Coach, remember the movie The Green Book? Yeah. 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 Well, my grandfather had that green book, and I never knew, understood the green book when I was young. And, and uh, uh, my grandfather had one because we would go from West Virginia to North Carolina to family reunions in the summer and stuff. And he had a green book, and, and they had the stations where you could stop and get gas, a uh, uh, black-owned little restaurants where you could eat or, or hotels, you know, black-owned hotels or motels. Uh but Dr. Walker had one, and that's when I really began to realize what the Green Book was all about because I was older. Uh, uh, we couldn't stop everywhere traveling to South Carolina down to some of the places we went. We went to go to Tuskegee, uh, 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 you know, to run. But there were certain places Coach knew where he could stop and get gas, certain places he knew where he could stop and we could get something to eat in a black-owned restaurant. Uh, and I experienced that until my senior year was when they first, you know, they started the sit-ins and demonstrations in Greensboro, and then, then it spread all over the state. Uh, I had a chance to hear Dr. Martin Luther King preach at the at church in Durham, uh, uh, Reverend Abernathy, uh, uh, and those people would come to Durham, and they would hold seminars and sessions on, you know, uh, on uh, 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 how to demonstrate peacefully, you know, uh, uh, I, I, dem- I took part in demonstrations uh, my junior and senior year in, in, uh, in various places that I was able to go to up here, like Woolworths, uh, 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 Howard Johnson's. You could go in these places and spend your money. They take your money, but you couldn't sit in there and eat. Uh, if you went in the clothing store and dorm, uh, uh, they had dressing rooms. You weren't allowed to try on anything you bought because they felt it was tainted. If you once you tried it on, so so you just had to buy it as is and hope that you had bought the right fit. Uh, the movies, the movie theater, they had a black-owned movie theater that was in the in in you know close to the school in the black uh, neighborhood. Uh, the white movie theater was downtown Durham, uh, you couldn't go to at all. Uh, and that was the other difference, like between there and when I was growing up as a kid in 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 West Virginia. Uh, because of the closeness of the black coal miners and stuff. We went to the same movies uh, uh, in West Virginia, but they had, you know, the black sat, sat in the balcony and the white sat downstairs. But you went to the same movie. In Durham during that time in, in the 60s, you couldn't even, they had separate movie theaters. And the black movie theaters in those places was always run down. Uh, the movies were old, old movies that had been out for a year or two and stuff, you know. Uh, 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 I remember... When Rush, from Russia with Love with with uh, Sean Connery, the first James Bond movie. I couldn't see the movie till I came home that summer. It was playing in the movie theater in downtown Durham, uh, but it was it was it was too new to be played in the black theater. Uh, 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 an, another story in sixty in sixty three, they ran the torch was going around the country on the way to the Olympic torch. You know, was going around the country on the way to to get to, to Tokyo, came through North Carolina, Dr. Walker had made arrangements. At first, they had only included the white colleges to take part in the torch run. Well, Dr. Walker, uh, 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 who was, you know, political in, in a sense, uh, he wasn't in politics, but he was 
he was he was wise to what was going on, uh, and he always kept abreast of, of things, and he made sure that we were always included. Uh, he he made arrangements that we were going to be a part of the Olympic torch run because he had already had one Olympian at that point, Lee Calhoun, who had won the 56 and 60 uh, hurdles in the in, in you know gold medal in, in 56 and 60 Olympics. So Doc got us involved. It was our team uh, 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 that ran the torch from Durham to to Raleigh, 28 miles. He had his sprinters. We would run a quarter of a mile. Our distance guys would run a mile. And to, but we uh, we carried the torch into Raleigh, and they had a ceremony in front of the state capitol. We couldn't even get a drink of water at the water fountains while they were doing the speeches and stuff because they – the signs that they had the signs on the water on the water fountains in front of the Capitol, white only. Uh, wow. uh, we could so we couldn't even get a drink of water after we got to Raleigh, you know. Wow. But those are the different, you know, those are little things that took place that I and that's really when I became aware of segregation in this country because, like I said, growing up in East Orange, I was I was sort of blind to uh, to things that was taking place. I was young. Uh, uh, there was an instance I had my senior in high school in in, in world history. Uh, we had to do a term member back then when you had to do term papers and you had to, you know had footnotes and all of that and your references. Well, I did my term paper was the history of the Negro in America, and uh, and I, I I had some of the best. You know, my aunt was a school teacher, elementary school teacher in in North at the time. She had just started. She graduated from uh, uh, West uh, from uh, uh, West Virginia State, and um, so she helped she helped me with my term paper. But when I turned it in, which should have been an A paper, I got a B plus. And then the top of the paper, never forget this, and it really hit home then that there was segregation existing in in Jersey and East Orange where. I, that I was blind to initially. She marked it at the top of the paper. She said, she put on the paper and read, it was an A paper, but I got a B plus because a lot of the references that I used, they were all black authors. They were oh. communists. Because then wow. all of the blacks back then in the, in the, in the 50s and stuff uh, uh, were all accused of being, you know, associated with the Communist Party. So, so my paper was downgraded to a B plus uh, because uh, a paper was downgraded to a B plus because she made the comment that uh, uh, most of the references I used were 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 communist, you know, uh, because they were you know they were all black authors and stuff. But uh, but you know, so as you got older, you, you you reflected back and realized a lot of things that did happen to you when you were younger. It was was of a racist nature. You just didn't realize it because you were caught up into, you know, I'm going to an integrated school. Some of my friends are white, you know, teammates, the whole bit. But but it existed. Uh, it just, you know, wasn't that obvious to, to us because we were young kids. But after I went to North Carolina, uh, I grew up real, very fast. Uh, I was dragged off to – we sat in the driveway of Howard Johnson's and boycotted one Sunday morning. We blocked the driveway. People that were in Howard Johnson couldn't leave, and no one could enter. 
but we sat on the ground back to back with our arms locked. The police came and dragged us off uh, to, to to the jail, and and uh, we would be in jail for hours. So uh, the NACP and court would send the lawyers down in. We get out and the next day. Next day we were demonstrating again, but they wouldn't even lock us up. There was blacks. There was white students from Duke and UNC. There was you know there were northern kids that took, you know, liberal, they took part in the demonstrations and stuff. They wouldn't even lock us up on the same floor. They locked them up on one floor and locked all the blacks up on another floor. We were demonstrating for the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, but but that's how, you know, segregated, you know, the South was. Uh, and But it was great because it was a very great learning experience for me. I learned, I learned about being black by going to school mm-hmm. in the South. I learned about being a black person and what what it stood for in this country by going to school in the South because I was blind and 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 and, and young and dumb to all, everything things that was taking place in Jersey I really didn't wasn't obvious so I really didn't pay any attention to it you know uh, uh, and I never had any black history at the time there was one black teacher at East Orange High School my four years there and. Uh, I went went down south, and I'm sitting in classrooms, and these kids, they knew everything about black history. I, I was, you know, didn't know anything, and you know, uh, and that's when I, you know, really became interested in in learning, you know, about uh, uh, black history. Even though I'd written that term paper, uh, 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 my senior year was a history, but it didn't cover, you know, like the different inventors' names, and I learned all of that. While, you know, while attending school in North Carolina and stuff. Wow. But the oh. one thing I can say that as an athlete, I was treated totally different. Even even going to Duke, the trainers at Duke would take care of me like I was one of their athletes. You know, uh, uh, at track meets, uh, there was even guys that were at UNC and North Carolina State from Jersey that white kids that I ran against in high school. Uh, and we'd see each other meet, and we, you know, uh, being in sports, uh, you know, uh, puts you in a different position in light. Uh, 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 even when I got older, because it was obvious in some instances when it came to being, you know, in in the sport that that I was dealing with with racist attitudes and stuff. Uh, but on the whole, on the out outside. Uh, you were just treated differently just because you were an athlete of uh, high standards and stuff, you know. Uh, uh, so, you know, athletically, it didn't affect me as far as, uh, you know, my competing and being and making teams. But, but there was little subtle things that, you know, uh, in Tahoe, we had to correct the, one of the managers. He was from upstate New York, Buffalo, Tatawanda, somewhere up there near near Buffalo, and he had, his name was Carl, I'll never forget his name was Carl Resch, he got on the bus, I was getting on the bus, uh, we were going to a meet, and in, 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 so we were going to the airport to go to this pre-Olympic meetup in in, uh, in Seattle, Washington, I got on the bus, and he, and he said, I was getting on the bus, he said, hurry up there, Norman boy, and I, I just stopped there, and I turned around, I said, listen, I'm 26 years old, man. I said, the only boy, there's only one person I've been a boy to all my life, and that's my grandfather, and you don't look like him. 
And I'll never forget Carlos and them standing up, clapping their hands and stuff, you know. Because any, I mean, we walked, I walked around in dashikis the whole time I was, there's a picture of the Olympic team, and I'm standing there, you know, with my dashiki on. Uh, uh, and and I remember coming back home for a weekend while we were in Tahoe, Tommy, Tommy had given me money. Bring me back one of those dice because they had these African stores in Newark and stuff back then, you know. Uh, I bought Tommy back a dashiki and stuff, you know. But but uh, 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 I was always, you know, slightly, and as I got older, became de- defiant and, 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 and standing my own ground. Uh, 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 because if you didn't, you, you basically was left behind and stuff. Uh, you know, none of the black athletes were ever appointed team captains and stuff. And I'll never forget, 1970, uh, on the national team, we went to, to uh, ran against Russia, Germany, and France. Dr. Walker was the coach. And Doc, Doc purposely pulled me aside, and he said, when they take the vote for captain, he said, make sure that you're one of, your, one of the guys nominate you. Because they would have never just picked us. It's like to carry the flag and those kind of things. So, uh uh, now it's a common thing, you know, because mm-hmm. the majority of the star well, the majority of the stars back then were black. They just was shuttled, you know, to the back when it came to to being in in front, being the leader and stuff. So, so uh, I, I sort of became very defiant uh, because of the experiences I had in college, and I, and then after I got out of college and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Because that's just, that's very historical and just powerful. Mm-hmm. Just letting you talk and share mm-hmm. uh, with the listeners, and uh, I appreciate your candor again. Um, I I just have a question for you, Coach. You know, mm-hmm. just take away the Hall of Fame, the Olympics, the Pen Relay Wall of Fame. Who is Norm Tate, the man? If, this, if those things were not on your on your record book, who is okay. Norm Tate? Uh, I'll I, I put it like this, Joe, uh, and I'm going to mention this Friday when I speak about, you know, the reason I'm, and I'm going to tell people, the reason I'm standing, I'm going to be standing there Friday was because of one man, Dr. Walker. And it wasn't just because he was a great coach and, and he brought out the best in me. He was a family man. He was a teacher. Uh, he was a mentor. Uh, and, and, and he was an edu- I mean, he was truly an educator. Uh, uh, he, he had his doctorate, and, and the book that we used in in his, uh, I, I know you've heard of adaptive physical education. It's, it's learning uh, uh, phys ed, learning to be able to teach phys ed to individuals with disabilities. Uh, okay. He wrote the book that they used in, in, in the Seattle Bay Conference at the other black colleges to teach that class. He wrote the book. And and so he, we idolized him. And and I'm going to let people know that the reason that Norm Tate is going to be standing there Friday to be inducted is because of him and him only. If, if it had been no Dr. Leroy Walker, it would be no Norm Tate, uh, uh, athletically or or as a, as a person. He's the one person in my life, Gerald, that, I wanted to be like, and it wasn't just me. It was other other individuals that uh, that were my teammates before and after I was. It it felt always felt that way about Dr. Walker, because um, uh, he cared for us 
he was like he was like a father that I, that I, I I didn't have growing up uh and and he he took us to his house to eat when we had late practices he'd call his wife up and, and say Catherine uh bringing eight of the fellas over we have a late practice at at at, at University of North Carolina they had the only indoor track around in in called in this building called the tin can he would take us you know we'd miss the dining hall and stuff his wife would fix food for the eight of us and we sit there at the table and eat like we was part of his family and 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 when i look back now we were part of his family uh and but he's the one individual in in my life kind that he was the person that i wanted to be like uh, because he was all of those things, and that's what I try to be. Uh, 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 I help other coaches when they ask me to. I help other athletes that, that may be competing against my kids when they ask for help. Uh, I I I, I want to be when I leave here. I want to be remembered as the person that cared, uh, regardless of whether it was track related or you know just dealing with people with, in, in regular everyday life. I just, I want to be remembered as a person that cares. And for the listeners, uh, this weekend, uh, March the 1st, uh, Coach Tate will be inducted into the CIAA Hall of Fame. Uh, and what does that induction mean to you coming out of that conference that you started your it, career? It, and that's, that's just it. Um, that's where it started. That's where Norm Tate started. Uh, hmm. I was a good athlete in high school. I jumped twenty three eleven. I went ten nine seven in a hundred yards, twenty one one and two and twenty yards. But I got hurt my senior. Never won a state championship. Hurt to the point that I couldn't run for you. I tore my quad muscle. You look at some of the pictures you may have seen of me. You see a big, mu- it looks like a muscle, a, a larger than life muscle in my left quad in the upper part of my left leg. I tore my quad my senior year in high school at the county championship. So I never won a state championship. And and when I got out of school, the, the, I had scholarship offered to Boston University. I would have been a teammate of John Thomas as the high jumper. I had, I had you know, scholarships to smaller schools. I had scholarship to Seton Hall, uh, which I don't think I ever would have taken because at that time, Seton Hall, you know, had very few black athletes, but it was also I could walk to Seton Hall from my house and start, so I wanted to be away. So that 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 year, I graduated in 1960. I wasn't able to run for a whole year, uh, so I didn't go to college. And and I ended up in North Carolina Central because Dr. Walker received a phone call from this coach, Marshall Brown, who was one of the few black coaches back then in the, in, in the late 50s and 60s. He was the coach at Plainfield High School, and they had had some super teams back then. Um, called, saw me working in a, in a store. The name of the store is EJ Corvettes. It's very similar to the Walmarts of the day. It was a chain store. And uh, I was working in the store, and Marshall Brown happened to come into the store. I was working in Plainfield on, on Route 22. He came in the store and saw me working. He wanted to know why I wasn't in college, right? We had beaten his team at the state relays in Long Branch that year. So he knew 
who I was. I knew who he was, but I didn't know him personally. But he knew who I was. And, and I told him, you know, what had happened as far as the injury I had um, uh, and everything. He said, uh, good friend of mine is a college coach. He said, I'm going to call him. person happened to be Leroy Walker. A couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from Dr. Walker. And he literally recruited me over the telephone. He asked me how, he said, how would you like to come down here to school? At the time, it was, you had two choices in 1960, 61. Either went to school or you ended up in the Army going to Vietnam. I would have gone to any school that was going to take me in 1960 or 61. Um, first time Dr. Walker seen me was when I got off the bus in Durham picked me up at the bus station. He recruited me based on this guy's reference. And uh, the guy told Coach, he said, listen, he said, this kid is going to be a good one. He said, if you don't recruit him down there, he said, you're going to miss out on, on, on a good one. I didn't know how good I was going to be, uh, 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 you know, but – after my freshman year, Dr. Walker seen something in me that, that I, didn't, I hadn't seen in myself. Uh, uh, he taught me how to triple jump my freshman year behind the stands in Orangeburg, South Carolina. The next year, I was the bridge, I was pin relays, first championship I ever won. First major championship I ever won was pin relays as a sophomore. I won the triple jump. Two weeks later, I won the NCAA Division II championship, and a week after that, I won the Division I championship in Albuquerque. In, in one year, I went from jumping 48 feet to jumping 52 feet uh, because of that individual, because he took the chance that no other coaches would take, barring the injury that I had, had suffered. Uh, so I... No, owe everything to him. So the CIAA is the beginning of my story uh, 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 because that's where I, everything that I accomplished started there with that first victory my sophomore year, uh, uh, first major championship I won. And after that, I, I won multiple NCAA championships and PIVA championships, uh, uh, NAIA championships, and CIAA championships. Um, uh, and, and it was because he took the chance, uh, 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 and, and his, one of his philosophy was the best athlete out there is going to be the best prepared one, and that's the one thing I can say about myself and my teammates. We were always prepared to compete against anybody, and we beat the Villanovas, the, the, the Rice Universities, the Ohio State. We beat all of them at Penn for, 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 for two straight years we dominated Penn Real Life. We won we won three championships of Americas. I won I won championships at Penn. It counting five individual and three championships of American Relays. I won eight Penn Relay watches. And I I went on to become I'm the tied for third with the most watches ever won at Penn Real Life. I won a total of thirteen of of fourteen total. I've, you know, from the Olympic development events after college, post college, and stuff. But, but that was the beginning. CIAA was the beginning of Norm Tate's 
athletic career. Yes, I know uh, we're running short on time, and uh, mm-hmm. I want to. I want the listeners to also be aware of the fact that there is a documentary of your life coming out soon. Uh, do you know when that will be available? It, it may. The guy may be there because what he wanted to do was to. Because I told him last year I was supposed to be inducted last year, uh, 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 and what they did last year at the last minute. Because of Title IX, it was the 50th anniversary. They in, they decided to induct all women last year, uh, and but what he wanted to do, he wanted it to end with my acceptance speech. He, I know he's been in contact. I haven't heard from him. I don't know if he got the permission to to be able to film my my my, my induction speech Friday, uh, uh, but if not, then. Uh, uh, my friend is going to record it on the phone and make sure he gets the recording. He wants that to be the end of the ending of the documentary. He's, he's interviewed competitors from Bob Beeman to 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 to, uh, uh, to uh, kids I grew up with. Everything uh, he's done, all of that. Uh, kids I've coached, uh, 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 high school kids I coached. Uh, uh, you saw. Couple of the girls that was at at, at the party my my kids had, uh, mm-hmm. uh, they were interviewed. Uh, Carlos was interviewed. He's 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 done all of that. Uh, he has some you know videos, some video of me jumping. He came across uh, some other video uh, that somebody had on a Super Eight tape of me triple jumping. So basically, it's done. He wanted to end it with with that speech. Uh, okay. If he if they were going to allow him to film it, uh, I know he was. Talking in discussion with the lady, the, the commissioner of Seattle Way. If not, then uh, 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 my, my, uh, Carol and my friend, she's going to record it on her phone, and uh, we're gonna make sure he gets it. He, he'll be able to, to have the speech. He wanted actually to have it filmed live, uh, and I don't know if they're gonna let him, but but because uh, uh, I haven't heard from him. And uh, we're, we're out of time, Coach. Okay. Uh, I know we can, we can go on, and uh, I would love to. Yeah, because this probably was about half half of the story. I mean, I had some <laughs> super story to tell you. One, my sophomore year, which really was when Dr. Walker realized that 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 uh, I was great. We came to pin relays, and we were in the four by two. I was a sophomore, and I'm running ankle leg. Well, the, the baton never got around to me, so I I, I let. I let all of the teams that was in that heat run, and then I took off and ran. I, uh, I ran, you know, to the finish without a baton. And uh, and and Doc asked me. He said, "Well, he said, well, why did you run, Norm?" And I was there in the paddock. And I said, "Coach, I said, my mother and my friends came from East Orange to see me run, and I made sure they were going to see me run." Because it was the only time that my sophomore year that they were going to have the opportunity to see me compete with that pin relay. So I ran. And i never forget, Coach turned to the other guys and he said, you know what? He said, if everybody thought like this, like he, like he does, you'd be great. And, uh, <laughs> and in his book, uh, 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 An American Dream, that's his biography, Dr. Walker, in this book, he, he talked about the various athletes that he's coached. He had seven Olympians. And in the book, it's so funny, I was the only one of those Olympians, no, there was two of us that didn't medal in the Olympic Games that we competed in. Out of the seven, two of us didn't medal. But in the book, he said, uh, 
a guy asked him, he said, you had a kid from East Arm, New Jersey in the 60s. He said, what do you have to say about him? And he said, Norm Tate. He said, Norm Tate is the greatest athlete that I ever coached. And I think that's the highest compliment that I've ever received from anybody. Uh, uh, uh. And what the other one that ranks, and I told, I told Rupp this story. My Coach son Tate, we're gonna life. we're gonna have to go, but oh, we're gonna okay. get yeah. We're gonna let's have you back after you mm-hmm. all um, paint the town red in Baltimore, and you <laughs> okay. receive you receive. Let's let's get you back next month and, and be our guest again because I know there's okay. more. And next time I'll schedule this for ninety minutes or two hours and just let, let <laughs> and because I don't think we've heard everything. And we we had never had it so good. We love you, and we're very proud to know you. Okay. Thank you very much. I, hey, I love you guys. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Rucker and Richardson, you guys want to have your last word? Well, this is phenomenal. This is phenomenal, and I'm, I'm, I, every time you talk, Coach Tate, you learn something. Yeah. And I learned a lot of new things this evening. Yeah, me too. Me too. Coach Tate, have a great week and have a great ceremony. Um, Coach okay. Richardson, take care of him. You guys. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's gonna be taking care of who. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I I'm talking. Looking forward, looking forward what, to it. What happens in Baltimore stays in Baltimore. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Have a great week. <laughs> Never had it so good. Sports radio. <laughs>